On a hot and humid evening towards the end of the month of May, a small green light appears on a radar screen. The light goes unnoticed at first, but soon the monitor starts to beep and alert the attending intern to its presence. The intern in question, Carl Coast, is on his third night shift. He sits up suddenly, though, awake as ever. He pushes back his disheveled hair and rubs his eyes. At first, he thinks he's just seeing things. It could just be a dream. He had fallen asleep on his first night on the job anyway and had a similar dream of a giant hot dog falling from the sky. But as the green light grew brighter, reflecting itself in Carl's glasses, he realized that this wasn't a dream. He pushed himself back in his chair. There was something on the radar. An astral anomaly was in the sky, getting closer by the second, and it was going to slam to Earth right across the lake. The doors of the room shove open, and Carl is sprinting down the empty nighttime halls of the Federal Bureau of Investigation Midwest Inhuman Services branch. Papers are flying as he races through the building to get to the assistant director's office. The assistant director, Farrah Isles, is lighting up her fourth cigarette of the night when Carl bursts through the door. Christ on a bike, Carl. You scared me. I nearly dropped my light. Ma'am, there's a problem. Excuse me? There's something in the sky. Kid, look. It's probably nothing. We get false flags all the time. The atmosphere eats up most of what we think we'll get. There's something on the radar. Something is about to crash right near us. Look! Do you know how low the statistics are of something actually hitting the Earth? But what about- It's one in 70 billion! The office is enveloped in a light from the window as the ground shakes beneath them. The unidentified object, whatever it was, hit the Earth. Right on the south side of Lake Moonmere, right next to a summer camp. And that kind of environment perfectly describes what it's like to be at Lake Moon Mirror, especially if you're working for the FBI, which Richard Swallow is. Leo, we open up to you sitting on a dock outside of the Federal Investigation Facility. It's morning, it's warm, it's beautiful. The bugs are terrible, but the weather is really, really nice. And you're sitting there and you are on your morning duty, which is to feed Gerald, the three-headed lake monster that you all keep contained underneath that dock. He has three heads, which are lovingly referred to as right Gerald, center Gerald, and left Gerald. What is it like for you to feed him in the morning? By this time, it's the regular routine, so it's just another thing that I've added on to my day with all the other things that I have scheduled about everything that is, you know, specifically in order at specific times every single day. It's repeated. It doesn't get interrupted. So feeding Gerald has just played into that. What is it like feeding this sea monster? When it first started happening, it was exciting. Not exciting enough to 
you know, have a party about it. But now it's just like having an oversized pet. Yeah, just like an oversized, like what, would you compare it to a dog almost? Yeah. And what are you feeding him? Fish, like large, large fish. They they don't come from the same river. We get them, we get them imported. You get him nice fancy fish. Yeah. Okay, so you're feeding Gerald the fish. Uh, since he has three heads, how do you split up the feeding? What's what is what is the tea on that? Well, the Geralds are pretty well behaved, so it's it's usually like a process of like from left to right they'll come down, and then they'll get a fish and they'll go back up. On days where they're like extra hungry. Or on days where they're just, you know, extra playful or extra feisty, they may, like, cause a few issues between themselves. Sometimes they'll splash water. You know what, today today is one of those days. I've decided today is one of those days. Uh, Right Gerald and Center Gerald are fighting over a piece of fish. It's causing, like, big waves to, like, kind of splash around on the lake. And they're kind of, like, bumping against the dock and shaking you a Uh, bit. I take a few, like, steady steps back, but mostly unwavering. And I just say... Center Gerald, please stop provoking right Gerald. He has done nothing wrong. You were both eating the same amount of fish today. It doesn't change any day. Please leave right Gerald alone. The amount of fighting has caused left Gerald to now start crying. Look what you've done. Left Gerald's now having a bad morning because of you two. I hope you guys feel ashamed later on today. They do. They do. They fully understand your English for some reason. And they they do they do feel bad. They they calm down. They feel bad about Left Gerald, who is their brother, a part of their consciousness. Who's to say? It's three heads. While you're out there feeding them, and in, and you know enjoying, are you enjoying your morning? Do you do you enjoy this part of your routine? I enjoy every part of my routine because it's routine. Yes. Okay. So while you're out there enjoying your routine. Uh, your routine is interrupted. What? You're minding your own business out there, and you hear a voice behind you. Um, uh, a- Agent Swallows? It's Agent Swallow. What would you, what do you need? Um, Agent Swallows, um, I, I was told to come get you and br- bring you to the director's office. Let's head right over then. You all head over. It's just a little nameless intern. You've seen you've seen him around the office giving people coffee and stuff. You know, you all do you know summer internship programs for colleges, and if they decide not to stay with the bureau, you just kind of like wipe their mind and move them on. This guy's been around for a while, so you think he's going to stay? Do you bother to still learn his name, or are you like above that? There's no reason to, especially if uh, they are such a temporary person. I would not put my energy into that. Okay, you guys are walking and. While you guys are walking, the intern gets a little buzz on his walkie-talkie. He listens to it, and he's like, "Um, Agent Swallows, uh, I, I, um, I have to go. Uh, whew, oh God!" And he starts to like heavy breathe. He's starting to hyperventilate. He's like, "I, <laughs> I have to find, yeah." And he he runs off. And you have no idea what he run- he's running off to do, but you know that a lot of interns have had a very similar reaction when they're asked to do something that either involves cryptids or ghosts or otherwise. This kind of reaction is not a shock to you. Very normal to these people who are not used to this. But would you consider yourself very used to it? Would you have that kind of reaction anymore? No, I'd never <laughs> had that reaction. You were numb to it from the start? Not so much numb, because there was at least joy in it at first, but just... 
there's no reason to freak out over it. Mm-hmm. So he runs off. You know where the director's office is. So you know where it is. So you're not too worried about it. You know, you're still heading to the director's office and stuff when you're interrupted again. I'm assuming you don't like being interrupted this much. Not at all. So you're interrupted again. And it is a much older guy in a large lab coat holding about like five large canisters in his hands. You recognize him. His name is Dr. Tesla, nicknamed Doc Tess. He works at the facility and he's the main guy who makes a lot of the equipment that you all have been using for the past decade in order to safely wrangle all the supernatural things you've been wrangling. In classic Doc Tess fashion, he's too busy talking to himself to bother actually talking to you. Instead, he hands you all the canisters that are in his hands, which you assume you need to go take to whatever storage facility they would go to, and he just keeps walking past you. You are now walking to go put these into those little, like, chutes that you have at the bank. You know what I'm talking about? And they will take these canisters where they need to go. Those canisters are right on the other side of the hall. But the hallway is a little busy. So I'm going to have you roll for if you uh, can get them there safely. You're going to roll a few times as you're walking down this hallway. Okay, what am I rolling? Hey, uh, for the since this is a little goofy bit, we're just going to do a little d20. A very easy pass-fail situation. You are just going to try to walk down this busy hall with all five canisters. Would you consider Richard, uh, Agent, Agent Swallow, would you consider him a very balanced person? Yes. He, carry, very rigid. he carries himself like very like not stiffly, but like with a lot of like he just he knows that he's not typically going to like fumble or mess up because he, he does he get better or worse when there are a lot of people around him. Uh, he's usually unaffected by crowds for the most part. He's kind of unaffected by a lot of things, but it's one of those things where looking at him from an outside perspective, you wouldn't know if he's like just pissed off. Or if he's always like this, or if he's a robot, <laughs> and he might as he could be a robot. People wouldn't question that here. So you're gonna now try to make your way down this very busy hallway. Roll your first little thing, first roll of the whole thing. Feel something. Two. No, wait, twelve. Oh, okay. I was about to be like, oh shit, first roll of the thing. It's an instant fail. That would suck. Okay, you have some people bump into you and you lose a little bit of a grip on some stuff, but it's still, you're still holding on. People are saying their regular good mornings to you. You know, people are rushing to meetings or, or very exhaustedly clambering their way just through the hall. Some people are on their very large cell phones. Some people are in the process of paging someone. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a mess. You know, what you would imagine a very busy office morning to be. Roll again. 19. Awesome. You are you are remaining unaffected and good. Now you I'm ranking you roll five times, basically. One for each canister. So go again. What is that? That is not a number. That's a seven. Okay. <laughs> um, again, making your way through. You are getting a little jostled now, though. They're getting they're starting to loosen a lot more from your grip. It's becoming a much more precarious situation. At this I... point, it would Oh god, you, yeah. uh, you drop two of them. Ugh. One of them, just kind of like the top just kind of breaks open and you hear like that sound that it makes when pressurized air is escaping a device. The other one completely shatters. And when it does shatter, it's just a cloud of mysterious dark smoke that just vaporizes into the air. That won't be good. Mm. You have one more. Where did my dice just? There it is. 16. 
Oh, okay. You you don't drop or break any others. When you bend down to pick these up, you don't lose your balance. None of the others fall. You look at the containers. The one that bled out air, you look at it and it has a name on it. The other one, the shattered one, you shattered it to the point where the names and like file numbers are unrecognizable on it. Oh, that is not good. Now you have two empty containers out of three. Uh, do you tell someone that you broke these? Would there be someone that I typically go to to tell? You could tell the guy who's basically working at the quote-unquote mail room, the guy who's like running the canisters at the end of the hall. When you get to him, you can go ahead and pop in the other three that are good to go. Do you tell him that the other two are broken? Yes. I wouldn't hide it. He looks at him and he's like, uh, do you know uh, Do you know what this one was? Why? Oh, God, I cut my finger. Uh, do you know what this was? Sad to say that I do not. Hmm. I'll just, uh, I'll put it in the bin. I'll tell special services when I get the chance. It, it's it's fine. It's fine. I'll just, and he just kind of like scoops it and puts it in his little ashtray. And he's like, okay, this, okay. And he just sits back down. I think another thing is that I think I would understand that I deal with these kind of cases all the time. And if it becomes a problem in the future, I'll just be fixing it. So it's not as big of a deal as anyone else would think. Yeah. So do you just make your way to the director's office then? I'd go straight to the director's office for whatever you need to tell me. Do you knock first or you just enter? I knock. Come on. And uh, there he is, director government, the head of your branch of the FBI. Oh, lovely. And he is sitting there with a cigar in his mouth, looking... His his normal expression, which you'd be unfazed by, but he's extremely angry and stressed and he's sweaty and he like he looks like he could kill somebody. But that's just his neutral expression, so I'm assuming you're not that affected. Not at all. Uh, Agent Swallow, put your ass in that chair. He was already probably in the chair the first time he said it. Agent Swallow, I'm going to have to ask you to leave campus for this month on assignment. You think you can handle this? Is this for a work mission, sir? Oh, it's to get some ice cream. Of course it's for a work mission. I was assuming you were sending me away because I may have been working too hard. My bad. This is the FBI, Swallow. Too hard is average. I'm going to be sending you and one partner to the summer camp across the lake. Who will I be working with, sir? As soon as you say that, you hear cheering on the other side of the office door. And in walks someone you went to uh, training school and stuff with. That is Agent Jonathan Crow, looking like a young Will Smith. He walks in and the office is literally cheering for him as he walks in. And he's waving and he's smiling and laughing and giving some guy the finger guns. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. You know, you know how it is. Saving the world one day at a time. He closes the door behind him. He spins around on his heels, gives director government finger guns. How do you react? My expression is as neutral as ever, but if you were to like look really hard and like the small like quirks, you would tell that I am not only upset, I am also disgusted. (laughs) Uh, Because you you don't like Agent Crow, Agent Jonathan Crow, you do not. No. Do you? No, you do not. He he is the opposite of everything you are. When he walks in, 
and he does a little finger guns to the director. The director slams his fist down on the table. <laughs> Damn it, Agent Crow, you've done it again. And you don't know what he did. You really you, they're not saying what he did or what they're cheering, but he did it. And it does it piss you off that he did it? If if I were to react to the situation, it would be with nothing but just like scoffs and disgust. But I don't. I sit there with my very neutral stare and just take it all in. He sits next to you and he puts his feet on Director Government's desk, like across from you. Like he angles it so they're like kind of across your lap on to Director Government's desk. And he like, <laughs> he reaches out to try to pat you on the shoulder. Do you flinch away? I don't necessarily flinch away, but it's almost like it's a smooth, like, I'm used to this reaction, so, like, I move my shoulder, like, just just out of his reach when he goes to do it, and then go back to my normal sitting position. Like, just, like, a smooth motion, like, you know this has happened before. And he's, he's smiling, and he's like, Richie! How is desk duty? What? Mm. Uh, Richie, come on. How is desk duty? I'm not here to socialize about my work day. I just got back from Siberia. Do you even know where Siberia is, Richie? Do you? Germany. And I had a great time there. It was wonderful, amazing, and oh, oh, what's this? What's this? He pulls something out of his pocket. Is that a Medal of Honor? Yeah, do I have a Medal of Honor? A director government, is this a Medal of Honor? Yes, it is. That's a Medal of Honor just for you. And he's like, ah, that's my Medal of Honor. Oh, shit, why did I get a Medal of Honor? Um, have you ever killed an Eldritch God, Richie? Have you ever saved a city by killing Cthulhu, Richie? Can't say that I have. Uh Uh-huh, you have not. But who has? Agent Crow, that's me. It's me, I'm Agent Crow. I did that. And how are you reacting? How are you handling this? (laughs) (laughs) Richard Swallow is a much more patient man than I. I personally, me, would not be able to hold it together in this situation. I think I would already be breaking desks and chairs. And he feels that way internally to some degree. But again, this man is so flatlined. He is colon line. (laughs) I love him. Director government slams his hands on the table again. This is his this is his go-to thing. You're like unfazed by it. I doubt you even jump anymore. He just he he needs something. He goes You two. I need both of you to be able to work together. You need to head to the summer camp. One of our interns, who fortunately we now have to pay, caught something falling out of the sky on the other side of the lake. How long did you say that we'll be having to do this? Until you find whatever it is. Dick. Lovely. And he like swallows really hard and he's just if he weren't like if he didn't have his hands like in like the the perfect position to be like like rested and neutral and just like as stiff as possible his hands would be shaking. (laughs) I've already called that tall handsome camp director to set up accommodations for you all. You'll stay there until you figure out what the hell has come to our planet. It's interrupting my annual fishing trip. You think I want to be here chasing after a UFO when I could be fishing? I will get this handled as soon as possible, sir. Before you finish that sentence, Agent Crow stands up. Director, I promise you, 
I will do whatever it takes to find that UFO so that you can go on your annual fishing trip. And like Crow starts to choke up and he's like, I know what it means for a man to go fishing, to stand there in the river and hold up his fish and take a Polaroid of it. I know what it means. And I will give that to you, director government. And, and the, the, the director is crying. The director of the FBI is crying. What are you doing? <laughs> it, this kind of stuff happens frequently. So it's all the time. Not, I, I'm not phased by it, but I am tired. I'm very tired. I'm exhausted. You're, you're exhausted. The entire bit, start to finish, <laughs> all of it. It happens all the time. Which glad, I, glad there's a routine. Oh my god! <laughs> At least there's a routine. Jonathan turns to you, and he starts making finger guns and doing a little shimmy. He's like starting to ease into it. And he's like, "Hey, Johnny and Richie, back at it again. Schoolboys reunited for a mission." Grab my hand. Away from Take me. my you. hand. We close. have to pose. Take my hand. Take it. Please my take hand in your hand. Do you take it? He pulls like a little bottle of hand sanitizer out of his back pocket, and like he he puts it on um on on Crow's hand, and then he puts them on his hand and he wipes them together like very very thoroughly. Like he has like a method to this. It takes like two minutes per hand, and then he then he does. This is gonna be just like Beverly Hills Cop. Are you hype? I don't watch movies. This is gonna be tubular, me and you. Let's go hop on my bike. Your bike. As cool and radical as your motorcycle is, Agent Crow, we have to be subtle for this mission. You two are going undercover as park rangers, who are staying at this summer camp just to monitor the wildlife around the kids. You're just there to monitor earthworm rates and stay out of the way. Can you two handle that? Director reaches under his table and he clicks a button and all the walls spin and shift around so that instead of looking like an FBI director's office, it now looks like the office of a park ranger. This includes turning around a dresser that has a bunch of park ranger outfits. I can handle anything, sir. The real question is, is can the ladies handle a man in uniform? And Jonathan Crow is already at the closet putting on his fit. I'm so sick to my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been angrier. Oh my god. (laughs) Okay, after you guys are changed and ready to go and you guys grab your provided for overnight go bags and stuff like that and your own personal belongings, you all meet out by a a ranger truck that is being provided for you by the FBI. And it is outside, uh, out in the driveway. You do get a little reminder that feeding Gerald every single Tuesday is still your job. I didn't think for a second it wasn't. Do do you care for Gerald? Would you have known that anyway? Would you have come back anyway? Yes, no one else is going to feed Gerald. I'm the only one who's going to feed Gerald. And you are really one of the only people who's not scared of Gerald, so that's a win. Do you love Gerald? I love Gerald. <laughs> 
He's my he's my big boy. <laughs> he's your big boy. With three heads. With three heads. All three of them. Uh, do you say goodbye to Gerald before you go? Of course I say goodbye to Gerald. What, what, what does the goodbye go? Gerald, I will be leaving for <laughs> a extended period of time for a business trip. But I will be back to feed you on our regular feeding days. Can you handle my absence in these times? Gerald is mostly fish and lizard, so he just blinks back at you in response. Thank you, Gerald. I love you and I will miss you. I'll be back soon. He's kind of empty behind the eyes, but you, you get what he's saying. <laughs> he's great. <laughs> Agent Crow is already in the truck, and he has already chosen the music, and it is very loud, loud pop music. Are you ready for this car ride? Not at all. Not emotionally. Uh, when you get close to the truck, he tries to grab your shoulders and pull you, pulls you in to try to take a picture with you on his little Polaroid camera. How do you, do, do you let him? I feel like it would catch him off guard just because he hasn't been in this setting with him. I, I at least I don't think they they would have like interacted this closely in work before. I think they would have mostly not since the academy. Yeah, so I think it would have caught him off guard because it's been so long. And so you all have your little picture. It, it prints out, and he instantly you know puts it safely in his pocket, and he's like, "I'm I'm hanging that one up in the cabin in the rose cabin." I would prefer it if you didn't decorate the cabin at all. I will be decorating the cabin. I would. I have so many posters to put up. I would prefer it if you didn't. No, you you like? Do you like girls on motorbikes? Is that like a thing for you? I'm not having this conversation. They will be up on the wall. Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. No. Bro cabin, no. bro cabin, and you all get into the truck. On the other side of the lake, Lillian is in her cabin. She's already situated. The counselors that are more experienced, like like Lillian is, had gotten there early. Yeah, no, it's it's all decorated. It's there's there's lots of pink hearts. There's lots of like diagrams of animals, marine animals, frogs, anything you could think of. A lot of I guess college notes as well. It's it's very she's having a time. Oh. Oh, that's so cute. Good for Lily. You've been working here for a while, so you already kind of like know what's going on. You're already situated and you came early to help some of the newer counselors get situated because of that. While you're sitting in your cabin and you're getting ready for like the buses of counselors to show up, you're opening a care package from your dad. <sighs> and and the envelope and a little letter with the care package is wet and sticky and has a lot of little, little muddy prints on it, little muddy hand prints and stuff. To anyone else, it would look like this envelope had been like run over by a truck, but you can speak frog. And so you recognize this writing as just the classic, you know, frog language. Lillian, just like she takes a very deep sigh when she's opening it. 
She's very like, all right, let's let's get on with this. And then the letter is very the letter is very sweet. Your dad says hi, and he hopes you have an amazing summer and that you stay safe. If you ever want to write him back, he can find a way to get a mailing address. He doesn't know how it works, but he said he'll figure it out. And he also said that he's been doing a lot of reading on what college-age humans love to eat. And so he set up this care package for you because oh he is, he has discovered the world of chips and salsa. And he wants to send this little package to you. <laughs> um, but when you open up the package, uh, it suddenly dawns on you that your father does not know how to read English. Because instead of having chips and salsa in this care package, you hold up a bottle of olive oil and dried rice. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's like, enjoy your chips and salsa. Have an amazing summer. I'll send another package soon. Love, Dad. I feel like there's a bookshelf in the cabin where the past summers that she's spent at the camp, um, there's definitely a lot of this instance happening. Um, So she just kind of sets it up. Like, she sets up the bottle of olive oil and the bag of dried rice, like, on the bookshelf next to, like, there's probably, like, the shoe polish. I don't know why, but I feel like there's shoe polish that Yeah, like, 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 nail polish remover and, like, like, and, like, all, Mm -hmm. and then, like, maybe, like, pistachios. Like, just, like, stuff. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, it's definitely a, a collection that will keep on growing. While you are over here adjusting your um, winnings from your uh, your dad, how do, how do you feel about just like the summer? Like, what's your vibes? Lily, she's very excited. She's always excited about the summer because, you know, she gets to get into the nitty gritty of it. She gets to get her hands dirty. I mean, there's obviously in college, you know, there's trips and everything for her major, Mm -hmm. environmental science, but nothing beats the joy of children getting to do this for the first time. And she, she loves like teaching the kids about this stuff just because she was so interested in it as a kid. You know, it, it's a good experience, and she genuinely enjoys doing it. Uh, while she's getting all her stuff on that shelf, uh, you hear a knock on like the door frame of the cabin, and there is Riot, the camp director's son, who is like one of the head of activities there, and like runs a lot of the boys' side of stuff. You all went to camp together. You know him very, very well. And he's just like there to like, say hi. She turns around gently at the knock, and she's like, oh, hi, Riot. How are you? The buses are going to be here soon. And he holds out a clipboard to her. And she takes it. She looks at it. Is it. I'm assuming it's like the counselors. Oh, maybe. yeah. It is a list of all the counselors, what activities they're going to be teaching and stuff. And you see some of the some of the names all have a little star by them. And besides that, it's pretty unremarkable. She probably goes over it probably twice, just really quickly. I guess she would... if. Riot's going to lead her to the buses, then she would follow. While you guys are walking, he points down at the clipboard and points to some of the names of the stars. And he's like, we have got to keep an eye on these people. They, um, the state is sending over uh, their community service program again for uh, 
for juvie mm. and for their younger inmates. So we, we got to sound make sure they stay on campus. Don't bring any uh, alcohol here. You know, the, the classics. And he looks really unsettled at the idea of this. Underneath the surface, there's a little, there's a little nervousness, obviously. It, it comes with the excitement of starting, but starting the camp every year. There's probably a little bit of, you know, she wants to take caution towards, you know, anything that could potentially harm any of the campgoers, any other counselors. She's very protective like that. So she's definitely making sure she knows the names to watch and um, is she's definitely going to be keeping a very close eye on them when they arrive. And Riot's the same way. You all are almost like the mama bear and papa bear of like the rank you all are at. And both you all are really good with the kids. Riot, like I say, he's the son of the camp director. He takes after him. As you all are approaching the buses, you see his dad, who is extremely tall, extremely buff, but in those really tiny 80s short shorts, and you can see Riot cringing as you all are walking towards this man with a mullet and his giant mustache and his sunglasses and his really tiny 80s short shorts. <laughs> like, you're you're used to this. At this point, you're probably not even phased because Skip has been the camp director for a very long time. And as you all approach, Skip is standing there with his arms crossed. Like, it's a super broad, super tall. So... So, uh, are you two dating yet? Lily instinctually flushes up and maybe takes a step to the left away from Yeah, Riot. no, Riot, Riot mirrors you. Riot mirrors <laughs> you. He, like, rubs the back of his neck. He's like, Dad, not again. I feel like I have to ask. Can't keep up with you kids these days. And, and the dating and the uh, going steady and, and the Madonna. Um... <laughs> Lily is beat red. She's turned her face away from the both of them. She's kind of got her hand up to, like, block it. How affected is Lily, by the way, when it comes to the bugs around her? She is trying her best. Well, okay, so over the years she's learned restraint, but definitely when she was younger going to camp, she was eating a lot of bugs. I'm sure that the counselors were not thrilled um, and I think through that reaction, she's like, oh, this is probably not a normal thing to do. Let me not do that anymore. But, you know, if there's a, a, a fly that gets into her cabin late at night, well, there's not a fly anymore. There are there are plenty of bugs all around. It's a very buggy morning. And you and Riot are like awkwardly waddling away from each other. But luckily, you all are interrupted by the sound of the first bus rolling in. A bunch of people flood out. Riot starts pulling some people over to start getting their names and, like, check people off. Do you do the same, uh, Lillian? Oh, yes, absolutely. One of the names on your clipboard is Daniel Thompson. And so, uh, Indy, you walk off the bus. You hear Lily call your name. Uh, you head over to get checked in. Lily, on your clipboard, it says that Daniel's going to be teaching arts and crafts. His name is not starred. Have you ever been to summer camp before, Daniel Thompson? No, he has never been to any sort of summer camps before. Uh, he's very, like, excited. Like, he gets off the bus, he, like, takes a big breath of fresh air and, like, just takes in the sense of the nature around him. And he's, like, looking everywhere. Outside like this? Uh, not as 
much nature around him as like currently is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of grew up in the city and he's going to school on the coast. So like being like surrounded by trees and stuff, he is very, it's very different. So you, you walk up to Lily after she calls your name and um, we work on getting you checked in. I think he like goes up to Lily and he's like, he's like, I, I'm not, I'm not exactly what it says on the clipboard. I know, I know you said Daniel, but like, I don't know if you want to put like a little like star next to my name and add like Bowie on there. I like to get be called Bowie. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll put Bowie down for you. Absolutely. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Thanks, 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 thanks. Sweet, thanks. <laughs> uh, is there a reason he likes to be called Bowie? If anyone asks him, he does not say it is because he is in love with singer-songwriter David Bowie. But oh. that is the reason he goes by Bowie. That is the real reason. What is the reason he tells people? He tells people he collects Bowie knives. And he does not. He does not actually collect Bowie knives. He will never show anyone his collection. But it is what he would tell people if they ask. Um, I don't think Lily would want to pry too much into it. So she doesn't ask. But in the back of her mind, she's... A little curious. You give him his pamphlet and you give him his little check-in packet and he's good to go ahead and go to his cabin if he wants or he could just kind of like hang out. What 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 would what would Bowie do? I think he like collects all the things he's been given and kind of like I assume he's got like a backpack of the sorts and kind of like shoves them in a little side pocket of your backpack and he's not like mm-hmm. venturing too far but he's definitely like wandering and like looking at everything kind of like looking at all the people like, looking at the lake, looking at the trees, looking at the cabins. He's, like, looking around. You circle back to where some people are getting checked in over by the buses. And when you do, that's when an extremely nice car speeds in. Not really caring who's around. Almost runs over some people. Very hazardous situation going on here. And out steps this guy in a peacoat who does not look like he wants to be there. He instantly starts lighting up a cigarette, even though it is against camp rules to smoke. And the very nice car, some guy gets out, drops off his bags, and he leaves. Lily, you, and Riot, and Skip all recognize this guy as the son of the owner of the camp, who is forced to be here every summer, first as a kid and then for work, and he does not want to freaking be here. He makes eye contact with you, Bowie, just because you happen to be, like, the first guy that's a little too close. And he, like, glares at you while he blows out his smoke. Uh, how does how does Bowie react? He beats, he beats the eye contact, and then he gets the glare, and he kind of, like, flinches and blinks a lot. And he's like, what? And, like, probably, like, leans in closest to whoever's with him. It's like, who is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? Lily would probably lean back a little, too. Just, like, lean into... Bowie and just be like that's Kenneth he's I hate to use the word but he's kind of an asshole um it's probably better if you just stay out of his way although if anything does happen let me or Riot know we'll definitely get it sorted out for you almost as if Kenneth can like hear the vibes you all are giving off he takes a final puff of a cigarette and like makes eye contact with you Lily holds out his arm, drops it in the grass without putting it out, and then turns around and walks away while taking his bag. Lily is a very, like, very jovial, very happy person. When he drops the cigarette, 
without putting it out. She is so, she's so mad, so mad, but she kind of just shakes it off, takes a deep breath. If Kenneth walks off, she probably walks quickly over to the cigarette, stomps it out, picks it up, and brings it over to the closest trash can. The second bus for the counselors rolls up. The crowds of people start walking off. There's Ryan, who looks a little confused at his sheet, and then hands it over to his dad. And then Skip, the camp director, he pulls out a megaphone. Is there a Kanye East here? I'm looking for a Kanye East. Uh, it's pronounced Kane. What? It's Kane. What? Yeah, like Dwayne, but like with a K. And he puts away the megaphone and he just shakes his head. And Riot walks over to you, uh, Kane, Kane East, and he hands you your cabin assignment and stuff. But it seems like there's been a little of a slip up, a little bit of a confusion. Uh, You're rooming with the girls for some reason. And it's because it turns out they ran out of room. For everyone, they they got too many people from the state-sanctioned um, community service thing, and so they put uh, some of the new people in co-ed cabins. So you're gonna be rooming with some of the girls. I love girls. <laughs> and um, you get your cabin assignment, and and Riot looks at you, and it's like, look, you're not you're not the only guy there. You know, Kenneth is there, so you'll he's a guy. You know, I feel great. I can't wait to be here and and. Do camping, and now I've got a room with girls. <laughs> Did you do you, do you like do you like camp? Like, is this like a thing in your life? I yes, I like camp because it's camping, and mm-hmm. that's about the only reason. <laughs> no, her that you are teaching hiking and bird watching, so it seems like a pretty solid thing. Of like, you prefer the outdoors necessarily to the camp, is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. This is your first time working at the camp this year, right? Just like just like uh, Bowie? Yeah, this is my first year here. I've worked at a different camp previously, but I had to switch over. Why Why do you switch over? Just because it was like closer to family. So you, you get all your assignments and stuff. Do you do what Bowie did? You know, kind of like wander around and enjoy your surroundings at all? Or uh, do you go straight to uh, do you go straight to your cabin? Uh, I go straight to my cabin. When you get to your cabin, you've noticed that the three girls you're going to be rooming with have already set up their stuff or at least thrown their bags in their bed and have left in a hurry. And they're, they're not there, but Kenneth is there and he's smoking inside of your cabin. Oh. Hey, man. What are, <laughs> what are you doing? Is that what you say to him? Yeah. Uh, he turns around and he like just gives you this look. He's still smoking. <laughs> I got asthma. Can you not do that? <coughs> Please. He, he rolls his eyes, but he does put out. Oh, he does not want to be responsible for your death. So he does put out the cigarette. Thank you. Thank you. It should be noted. I do not have asthma. Well, he believes you. He believes you have asthma. Because I, I don't know why you lie about that. He believes you have asthma. <laughs> uh, he puts away his cigarette. And he, like, goes and sits down on his bed. Are you, uh, are you rooming with the girls as well? Yep. By choice? No. Are you rooming with the girls by choice? Do I look like I would room with girls by choice? And he motions down his long coat and his tight black jeans. I mean, maybe. 
I don't know. He he rolls his eyes and he flops like he flops back on his bed like he was sitting on it and he like flops back down and he lets out this big, heavy, dramatic sigh. Do you keep talking to him or do you just mind your own business? I think I try and ignore him. <laughs> you trying to ignore him only makes him realize that you are ignoring him. And then he starts to try to like keep doing stuff to get your attention. Uh, he's one of those people. He uh, he dramatically sighs again. He he makes a whole big deal about standing up and opening a window and going to smoke outside, like sm- smoke through the window instead of letting it be in the cabin. Awesome. Oh God. Uh, people. Is is that is that is uh. that is that Kaney's normal reaction? Just like ah, people. Yeah. Generally. Yes. So when it comes to him being introverted and stuff, did. Did he enjoy his past experiences at camp? Or again, was it literally just like, just for the nature, the people were tolerable? Just for the camping. Like, he's definitely made friends at camp before, but um, doesn't keep in touch with them. You know, there's no exchanging of letters or addresses or anything that happens. Well, Kenneth is still trying to get your attention. What what do you, what do you do? Uh, I talked to him. So do you, (laughs) yeah. You uh, camping. Nailed it. What do you do in camping? <laughs> I hate camping. Oh. Why? My dad owns this place. And so I'm forced to be here because he thinks I should contribute to this disgusting society. He's one of those. Oh. <laughs> well, camping's kind of fun. Once you get used to it, you know, get past all the bugs. I hate bugs. Hey, something we have in common, huh? He actually, he, you know what? He appreciates that. He vibes with that. He doesn't hate, he likes, <laughs> he likes the fact that you are so like neutral with him in this way. And he still believes you have asthma. So he's respectively smoking outside of the window <laughs> as you all continue to do your unpacking yes. and all of that stuff. Do you look at the stuff he's unpacking? Like, do you observe? You sit oh, yeah. down a suitcase. Do you, you do? Oh yeah. All right, is it because you're nosy, or is it just because like <laughs> it is definitely 100 percent because I'm nosy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, hurt, hurt, hurt. While he's unpacking and getting all the stuff out of his bags, you notice that he definitely did not pack camp-ready clothes. He has like three long coats, really pretentious clothes, and like lots of hair care products. And it's like the middle of summer. In Michigan. Yeah. So it's okay. like. Gonna overheat yeah. in an yeah. instant. Do you tell him that? No. <laughs> like, wanna see what happens? He'll figure it out. You also notice he brought a lot of books with him, which includes one that looks really, really, really like old. Like a book that just looks like really weird looking. Do you, do you care? Or do you, do you just like. Yes, I do. Why? Why do you care? Um, I, you know, I love not that. Uh, Kane loves books Ooh. and reading. What's his favorite book? Good question. You know what? Um, it's called Bridge to Terabithia. Okay. Maybe. Why maybe? <laughs> Might be called that. Might not be called that. Uh, wh- why? Why maybe? Uh, if you're wondering if Bridge to Terabithia was out in the '80s, it was. It could be. <laughs> If that was like your defining factor of whether or not it was this, this, this. 
Well, that's definitely a plus. It feels like a book that'd be out in the 80s. But if there's one thing that that Kane loves more than books, it's old books that look like nobody should be reading. Are them. you are you into like weird creepy stuff? Is that why? Yeah, Kane grew up with like a lot of stories being told and like, you know, stay away from the woods, you know, you don't want to go into the the creepy tunnel into the into the uh, water runoff drain. If you go to the water runoff drain, you'll run into the fish man of Michigan, the fish again, and then it'll be a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he would always go out there and try and find them. Never found anything. Potentially. But it made him realize that it's just sort of, it's not, everybody makes those things out to be like scary and uh, unapproachable. And he likes to approach them and see if they're actually scary or not. Okay, so do you ask him about the creepy book then? Yes. So um, you read. And he sees you looking at the creepy book and he kind of like puts the book under his pillow and gives you a glare. Take that as a no. I do read. I. <laughs> oh, is it like stuff in there that you don't want people to see or? And he kind of like thinking about it and i guess because you've been so chill and also i i don't know maybe because of your asthma he decides he can trust you because <laughs> of the asthma and he pulls the book out from under his pillow are you uh are you familiar with the local legends of uh this camp no i just got here you don't know anything about the moon mirror massacre the what now is this genuinely your first time hearing about it yes Back in the 50s, some counselor here went, killed a bunch of other counselors on, a, on the, you know, the final day of camp. And this place was shut down for like 15 years. Oh. Yeah. Here? Here. And oh. the killer's body was never found. He'll be out here. Or not. What, for like 15 years? No, for well, I mean, longer than 15 years. It's been like 30 now, but like the camp was shut down like 15. Yeah. Yeah, t- you know, yeah, time. It's got to be really old then, right? The massacre? They the killed guy. The guy. <laughs> 40 now. <laughs> oh, God, older. 50. 60? Disgusting. Whoa. So probably not that much of a big deal. Like the killer? Well, I mean, like if you if you had to fight a fifty year old, right? How do you think you could take yeah, him? He's a fifty year old killer. It's so any anybody can be a killer. <laughs> Doesn't matter how old they are. He will remember that sentence that you just said. <laughs> oh God! The little thing in the top of the the screen flashes. <laughs> yeah, like Kenneth will remember that. I'm, but I'm just saying, would you rather go against a 50-year-old killer or, a, like, a 20-year-old killer, you know? I mean, no killer, actually. That's that's very true. Well, and, you know, hopefully we don't see And him. that's when he pulls, he shows you the book. It's, it's one of those classic kind of, like, satanic panic, how to summon a demon books. Like, it looks authentic, but for all you know, he could have, like, bought this at a local coffee shop. You know what I mean? He kind of, like, gives you a look, and he's like... I was thinking about, you know, trying to talk to the killer. The ki- Wait, is the killer dead or alive? He shrugs. He's like, <laughs> we don't know. That's the scary part. But if he's dead, I want to try to talk to him. And okay. what else are we going to do? Make friendship bracelets and eat s'mores? 
No. Yeah, I think that is generally what. Oh, that's pathetic. Yeah, s'mores are pretty good. I don't know what you're talking about. S'mores are not good. Okay, you know, to each their own, I guess. Well, here, if you if you want to go make a friendship bracelet, feel free. But if you want to join me in trying to talk to a killer, then we can go have real fun. Ooh. Yeah, you know what? I'm sure there's time for both. You know, you know, you're right. Do you believe he'll actually be able to talk to him? Um, no. <laughs> well, I think the end goal is not to be able to talk to him. For for me, it's it's to go. Like, it's definitely going to be interesting, no matter what, right? Kenneth kind of accepts that as an answer, and he puts the book away, and he tells you that he'll come get you when it's time. Uh, do you go back out after that, or do you just, like, chill in your cabin? I go back out. Uh, you go back out at almost exactly the same time that uh, two different vehicles pull up. One is a bus from the local uh, state jail, and the other one is a Mountie truck driven by Jonathan Crow with Agent Richard Swallow in his passenger side. Before we get to them, though, the county jail bus pulls up. Two different people are taken off the bus, and they have their handcuffs taken off. And these are two of the people who had starred names on your checklist. And you recognize one of them, Lily, basically instantly. It is Riot's ex, who used to go to camp here, so you definitely recognize him. His name is Viper. He's dressed head to toe in super metal clothes. He has this like long white rocker hair. And next to him is someone who you don't know, but she is a lot shorter than him, but dressed very similarly with the white hair and all these punk clothes. They are basically handed off by the state to skip. These are two of the more intense cases of the people who are going to be here to make up community service. They both have vandalized many, many, many things, and they're both kind of on their last leg with the state. So they're being put here on very, very thin ice, very fragile probation period situation. They're definitely going to be ones that you're going to want to keep your eye on. About the same time that the state drops off those two, Jonathan Crow and Richard Swallow get out of their cars in their little Mountie uniforms. Uh, how do you feel being at the camp? It's not the cleanest looking because it is a camp and he's not thrilled about having to be around a lot of like gross stuff, but it's always been kind of a part of his job. So it's not like, it's not like it's out of left field, but it's definitely not as nice as like what he's used to. You get out of the car and... Jonathan is freaking jazzed. He is fully enjoying himself. He is so excited to figure out where you guys are going to be sleeping and to get all, like, situated in. He is ready to go. Jonathan will take over the conversation then. He'll talk to Skip. Y'all will vibe and y'all will get all handled about where you're going to be staying and stuff. You all are staying in a two-person cabin a little further out than the other cabins. Um, You can actually see most of the east side of camp from your cabin, which you think is very convenient because your job, you're not here to make friends. You are not here to have a fun, hip summer. You are here to find this mysterious object that fell from the sky. 
you have been given all the documents and papers on it, and on the way over, you read them. Um, well, struggled to read them through the wild noise of Jonathan's pop music. But you managed to get the information you needed, because you're very diligent like that, I'm assuming. And a small object estimated to be about one meter across in every direction fell from the sky mm -hmm. at around 4.33 a.m. and landed in the woods in or around campgrounds. You all could not pick up what the object is. You all could not pick up really any more information about it physically, but you could pick up that it gives off a light radioactive signature. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to find this in much less time than what anyone is expecting. Like, I think I'm literally thinking, like, making a plan on how to solve this issue as soon as possible. Already thinking of all, like, the tools and stuff we have to locate the object and the best way to um, extract it, whatever it may be. Like, I'm thinking of, like, like 30 steps ahead of of like what I could be doing now that I have proper information for what I'm dealing with. So you all go to your cabin and y'all are getting situated and Skip tells you that there is going to be a celebratory bonfire that night where everyone's going to be able to get together and socialize and learn about the NPCs and enjoy themselves. So you go to your cabin and you're getting situated with Jonathan and you realize that they have only given you one bed. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's a bunk bed. Uh, you, uh, Jonathan. Jonathan runs into the Jonathan runs into the cabin. And is like, I call top, and he dives at the bed, and like nearly breaks it from the fact that he jumped on it. Uh, I am assuming, based on everything you've told me about your character so far, that he is very neat and organized. Every object he has has a place. Everything that he brought with him, he knows exactly where he's going to be putting it in the room ahead of time. And he's very much so like, I don't want anything else moved. Uh, if if something is in a spot where I put it, I meant to put it there. I never just haphazardly like put stuff wherever I want. So like right now, Agent Swallow, his bag is like neatly up against the wall. He's already like unpacking yeah. like essentials. He's like taking like his shirts and stuff out and putting it in the drawer. He doesn't think that he's going to be here for very long, but it's still a part of his mental routine to like, you know, unpack his bag. And what does Crows look like? He is completely basically ruined his half of the cabin already. He has put up posters. He has flung his clothes in the drawers. They're not organized. They're just like tossed in there. He has gone ahead and put away everything that he could, but to him it's put away. To you, it is like a bomb went off. And it happened so quickly, you have no idea how it turned into a mess that fast. Oh boy. Like, after he's done, like, unpacking, like, the bag he was already unpacking, he's going to be like, Agent Crow, would you mind, please, organizing your belongings into a neatly order? We are adults. This is neat. Would you like to describe to me your definition of neat? I, wh what do you mean? How is this neat to you? And he, like, stiffly gestures to the room. What, what, this, is, this is exactly what my house looks at back home. Like, this is just what it looks like. I feel bad for you. What? I will now be organizing all of your belongings. Well, well I mean, uh, I mean, and he's already doing okay. it. He's already like picking up stuff around the room and putting it where it should be. He literally, like, at one point, he untacks the poster from the wall and straightens it and like puts it back. And up. he 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 follows you, and he's like, "It looks less cool that way." 
Like the, the angle, the angle was a part of the experience. I do not care. But the angle. It will be neat and organized. It's a poster. It, it's a and poster it of a straightened. lady in a bikini on a motorcycle. I feel like you should give her more respect then. By not having the poster? Or that I... would be ideal, yes. But mm. if you're going to keep it, at least keep it straight. You know what? Compromise. It'll just be straight on the wall, I guess. As long as I get to keep it. And he's like, he's minding his own fucking business. He is the opposite of everything you are. How are you going to handle sharing a room with him? Because you have not done that since the Academy. I already have a migraine. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. It is Eden, your game master for Camp Moon Mirror, and welcome to our first ever uh, mid-roll. Isn't it intimidating? I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> but thank you to everyone who has made it this far in episode one and is going to keep trucking along with us on this journey. I am very excited to see how this develops and how my editing style and DMing style grows with the story we're telling. I'm very, very excited. This episode features two guest voice actors you heard at the beginning, by the way. That is Faven and Sunpai. We are very grateful to have them uh, step in and do the awesome little VA work they did at the beginning. They're both amazing people. You can find them both through our Twitter. Also, a special shout out to our voice actor for Director Government and for Skip. His name is E.G. Tariku, and he is absolutely wonderful. He's not only a voice actor, he's a writer and a digital artist, and you can find him also through our Twitter. And a special shout out to the man, the myth, the legend behind our original compositions. Absolutely amazing, Xavier. We love him. You can also find him through our Twitter, which, by the way, great time to plug. If you don't follow our Twitter, Tumblr, or TikTok, you are missing at least 30% of the information that could go into this podcast, whether that be hints and clues and secret little spoilery things you might not notice the first time around in our official art, wonderfully drawn by Leo, or, you know, just general fun character memes. You can follow us on all our social medias and catch all that there. And I just real quick want to give a little shout out to my players, Suffer, Stranger, Indy, and Leo. I love them so dearly. I could not have found a better group of people to bring this story to life. I love them with my whole soul. I am so excited for you all to see what they bring to the table. It is an extremely talented group of people and I, I cannot speak highly enough of them. So this is my big thank you to them who will not be hearing this until the podcast airs. Uh, I love you guys. You all are wonderful. Thank you for a wonderful first episode and a wonderful series. I love you all. Speaking of episodes and the concept of more episodes, our episode schedule is going to be every two weeks. So right now, as of today, this is October 3rd that you are hearing this. The next episode is going to be October 17th. And then the one after that will be Halloween. And we will follow in that every two weeks posting schedule. Occasionally, if there's a non-canon episode or some fun, goofy side content or something that's short and maybe, you know, meant to be taken a little bit more lightly, we'll be posting that weekly, potentially. So for bonus episodes and bonus content to know if there's going to be an extra episode posted within those two weeks, like I said, follow our socials. So I'm done taking up your time, short, sweet, simple. Let's get back to Camp Moon Mirror, where all the fun and important stuff is.
Lily, you have been really hard at work making sure that everyone gets situated and everyone is comfortable and good to go. And because of that, you have not been back to your cabin yet. But you do know that you have a cabin mate. You have not met them yet. You are one of the limited co-ed cabins that have been put together. Um, So you have not met your roommate. You didn't get to see them move in. You were too busy being a good little counselor. And so now you have the ability to go back to your cabin and see who it is. I'm assuming Lillian would want to go make friends with him. Oh, 100%. 100%. She's like, you know, a little worried that there's going to be a guy dorming with her, but like another friend. Why not? So you go to the cabin, you walk in. Before you even see the person, you are met with the smell of like cigarette smoke and leather polish. And you can already see like the dirty boot prints on the floor, just the clothing and stuff kind of like scattered around. And there, standing by his bed, just kind of like throwing stuff in his drawers is Viper. I think Lily absolutely freezes up just staring at Viper in the doorway. If he like looks up at her or like makes eye contact, she will just quickly move to her side of the room and then just like she's it looks like she's actually doing the mental math of what side of the room is hers and what is Viper's and is going to just start tidying up her space just to counteract the mess that is happening on the other half of the room. You recognize Viper from your early days at camp, kind of similar to Riot. You all didn't run in the same circle, but you went to camp in the same years. And you would remember Viper as like more along the lines of that one asshole kid. Is like, you know, like when you just like, you don't even know his name, but you know his face. You only really got to know Viper when Viper was dating Riot. And now Viper is still... That asshole kid vibe, but now his hair is completely different. It is stark white, and it seems like his appearance has like drastically changed in the last year as well to be just a little bit more intense, not even in like his fashion sense, but just his actual almost like bone structure has changed. He sees you come in and he doesn't really stop what he's doing, but he gives you like this knowing smirk to where like he knows and, and you know that this is about to be an absolute mess. I I think Lily sits on a lot of words for a very long time. And then she's like, you know what? I'm a lady. I'm not going to say any of that. And she's going to push it down, push it down. <laughs> deep, deep down where nobody will ever find it. Deep, deep um, down. <laughs> and she, she's definitely not going to be the one to say anything first. She is still uh, dealing with the the idea of being in this cabin for the rest of the summer. The silence continues on for a little bit without warning and without asking you. Viper pulls out a boombox from his stuff and just starts to at a high, very inconvenient, annoying volume, play some just good old classic punk music. Again, no warning, but you you can see. Like, you know how you can just, like, you know that someone knows what they're doing? That kind of energy. He, has set, it, he set it up on his little dresser by his bed. He just sets it down, and the cassette was already loaded and in there. It's, like, ready to go. It looks like these belongings had not been touched in a while. It seems like, like uh, the juvenile detention center gave him all of it back mm-hmm. for this summer. And so like, it looks 
literally like, I don't know how to say it, pristine, untouched, and he just pulls it out and pushes play and loud volume just starts blasting heavy music. And just keeps doing what he's doing. <sighs> I think I think the volume absolutely startles Lily, like she jumps. He laughs, he notices and he instantly like laughs to himself. And then like, uh, 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 hearing the laugh, deep red flush, and then she turns around, her whole like posture is very tight and very like bottled up rage. <laughs> But then she turns around and she's very sweetly like, I, I don't, you can do whatever you want. Just please turn that down while I am in here. Please. He like gives you like a, one of those like nods and like thumbs up, like it's all good. And then he turns down by one notch. <laughs> oh, um. I feel like Lily checks it off in her mental list of, okay, got to be more, uh, more clear with instructions with this one. Can, can you turn it down a little bit more? I still can't hear my own thoughts. And by a little bit more, I mean like three or four more notches, please. He actually does oblige this time. He, he turns it down to, it's still probably not reasonable for like, an outdoor place, you know what I mean? Like, you know those assholes who carry on speakers when they hike? That kind of energy. It's probably like, and they're playing like loud EDM. Same kind of vibe. It's probably still not as reasonable as it could be, but it is no longer blasting. So you can like talk at a normal volume with him. And she finally takes like a deep breath and it's like, (sighs) okay. It seems as if We're probably gonna have a few interactions like this during the summer. And in all honesty, I want to keep that to a minimum. So, politely, as politely as I can, I just want you to know, I don't like you. And, oh, oh, fiddlesticks. Um, (laughs) Oh, no, she's perfect. (laughs) Um, He, when you say, I don't like you, he kind of like just like gives you this up and down. And he's like, same here, princess. And then keeps doing what he's doing. Uh, She's very frustrated and very visibly (laughs) flustered at this moment and then she says okay well you know um so i'm dividing this cabin into perfect halves right now as we speak my half i'm going to keep my way your half do whatever but if anything gets on my half i will be throwing it out That night is the bonfire, and everyone is there. There's food, you know, someone has a boombox playing some hip tunes. Uh, what do you all do? Camp bonfire, what's y'all's vibe? None of the kids are here, by the way. It's adults only, so what's y'all's vibe? I feel like immediately um, Lily is keeping an eye on Viper just across the camp, through the trees, 
watching Viper so very closely. And you you recognize him, but you can tell something has changed about him this summer. And it's the fact he has that white hair along with the girl that's been hanging out with him also having that white hair. You, you That's new. But besides that, he's exactly what you and Riot would have remembered him as, which is he's being a smart ass. He's like, you know, causing a little mischief, you know, doing doing his thing. Uh, so you're keeping an eye on him? Mm-hmm. 100%. The strain in your voice said everything. Um, yes. And what are the rest of you guys doing? I think Daniel is so genuinely shocked by the variety of people here that he is, like, watching everybody and kind of trying to, like, learn everyone's vibe. I think he came in, like, expecting everyone to be a lot like Lillian. And then when more and more people kept rolling in and they 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 were not. He was like, "This is interesting." I'm like, I'm keeping an eye out, just trying to like catch everyone's vibes. We're just standing here. And then how is um how is our FBI agent? Because you know I'm assuming this isn't really his natural vibe. Honestly, not only is he keeping to himself, he's actually got a map of the camp and he's studying it very intensely. And since like he's under the guise of a ranger, it doesn't look like anyone's like you know, worried about it. It just looks like he's trying to learn the campground, but he's really, like, studying this like it is his lifeline because if anything happens, he needs to know exactly where everything is located. Feel a tap on your shoulder. He looks up stiffly. There is a guy who's in one of those full, like, 80s neon colorful geometric tracksuits. Uh, he has a fun hip hat on. He's short. He's blonde. He looks really like bouncy. You know what I mean? He has a, more, a, a personality more akin to Lily than than the others. And he's like, "Oh, so you're the you're the park ranger, right?" Yes, that's me. Do you require assistance? No, I just wanted I just wanted to talk because you're see so your your cabin is near my cabin and you're 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 near you know the 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 kids camp section you know what I mean and so I just wanted to like get to know you man. What could you possibly want to know? And he holds out his hand to you and he's like, "I'm Kyle," with an eye. He takes the hand sanitizer out of his pocket and he squirts some on Kyle's hand. And then he puts it on oh. both of his hands. Yeah, you don't, and it's you a don't need that. Two-minute process for each hand before before he finally goes. No, I, in I for washed. A I washed my hands this morning. You don't. Oh, oh, now my hands are sticky. No, that's cool. Sticky's cool. And what's your name? Richard Swallow. Shit, what do you have? Wait, 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 were they assigned fake names? No, they were not. Okay, yeah, no, he would probably just go with Richard Swallow then. And. You see Kyle's face kind of twitch. And he's like, excuse me? My name is Richard Swallow. Like, for real? Does it look like I am joking? This is the name my mother gave me. Your mother named you Dick Swallows? <sighs> and Kyle, Kyle, Kyle's holding back a laugh. He is fighting for his life right now. <laughs> my great-grandfather on my mother's side was named Richard. She did it in his honor. My dad. Dick Swallows? Peepaw Dick Swallows? My father's last name. My father's last name was Swallow. It's an unfortunate situation, I know. What was your your dad's first name? I will not give you any information about my family any further. Thank you. 
No, oh God, does your dad have an embarrassing name too? It's what, you could just change your name. I picked my own name. I wouldn't, no. Kyle no, with an I. I would not. The, the kids love it. I would not it. change my name, no. K-I-A-L. I'm not the going to. The kids love it. You can my change your name. My mother gave me this name and I will be keeping it. Thank you. You could do it. You don't have, you don't have to, you don't have to keep it. You don't have to be Dick Swallows for the rest of your life. I enjoy being Richard Swallow. Thank you. And then out of nowhere, Jonathan is patting you on the back and he's like, yep, he loves being Dick Swallows. I feel as if I am being made fun of in a way that I do not appreciate. No, 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 no. And Kyle's like, no, 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 I, I, I'm not making fun of you. I just, I, I just, you know, you could. You could change your name if you want. You're not trapped. You're not trapped as Dick Swallows. And he's like, he's giving you a very genuine look. I will not be changing my name. I I enjoy my name as it was given to me by my mother. Please let me keep my name. I mean, I, I'm not taking your name from you. I, you. You can keep your name. I feel as if I'm being Oh, I, no. No, that's not. Kyle holds his hands up and he starts like, backing away and he's like no that's not he looks around and he sees you daniel bowie and he's like no see see uh, it would hey what, what's your name uh, me uh my name's bowie bowie yeah like the guy no like the knife <gasps> wait that's you see you don't have to be dick swallows if you don't want to wait that guy's name is dick swallows yeah yeah his name is dick swallows did he did he pick that? No, that that his his mom named him that. That was his grandpa's name. Does your, does your mother love you? Very much. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know about that one, man. Jonathan is losing his fucking mind. I just want to make it very clear that Jonathan is laughing so hard that he might throw up. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's losing it right now. Agent Swallow, his face has just been blank this entire time. Still, even now, his face is completely blank. He doesn't think this is funny. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where, like, this is a name that you would have, like, been made fun of for your entire life. Not only is he numb to it now, he's also tired of it. And conveniently enough, while this conversation is going on, your um very large phone rings in your pocket. <laughs> is it one of those, like, bricks? Yes, very large phone. It's, it is the eighties. I pull out the I pull out the brick and I just respond with Richard Swallow speaking. Hi, honey, it's your mother. How are you? How's your day at work? I haven't talked to you all week. Hello, mother. I'm having a lovely time at my job right now. Yo, is that your mom? The mom that named you Dick Swallows? Mother, I may have to call you back. I'm surrounded by people who do not respect me. Oh, honey, no, no. I listen, honey. We have not talked all week. I don't care who respects me or you. You will not hang up on your mother. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. And he just calmly, calmly is like, Mother, it is probably not the best right now to catch up during a social event. Oh, are you at a party? Oh, my son's at a party. You never go to parties. You know, when you were in high school, you did not want to leave the house once. It is a work event. Where are you working? What's going on? Is, is Man Moth up to no business again? You're not supposed to th speak about these things with me on the phone, Mother, especially not when I'm around other people. I'm working as a park ranger now. It's, it's Man Moth! I saw a thing about Man Moth in the paper the other day. It's just Man Moth. 
You know those news headlines are full of false information, mother. And he, like, says it, like, a little louder than usual. No, like, you can, if you, you know what? If you just want to tell me that you don't love me, that's fine. I never said that. I, I love you, mother. Well, go, go enjoy your party. Find someone to get married to. I want my grandkids. Goodbye, mother. And she tells you that she loved you, like, seven more times before she hangs up. Is our interaction finished here? Do 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 you want it to be? Yes. Oh, okay. And Kyle just kind of like awkwardly shuffles away. <laughs> what is everyone else doing at the social event? What are y'all doing? Socialize with each other. After scoping out the situation with Viper, Lily probably finds Riot. And uh, Riot is... You know, he's, he's, he's making the rounds and stuff. He's doing a very similar thing that you are doing, which is, like, really keeping an eye on Viper and the girl who's with him. He also is continuing to be embarrassed by his dad the whole party. So, that's what Riot's been doing. I feel like Lily just kind of slides up to him in that animated way and it's like, So, Viper's back... Yes. Is all he manages to say about it. He, like His eyes narrow and he's like, yes. And then I think Lily gets a little pink and she's like looking away. He's like, how does that make you feel? And he thinks for a moment he's, he just responds with, yes. Lily just kind of laughs a little bit quietly. And then she's just like, well, um... Well, how, how's your roommate? Oh. Yeah, so that happened. How long do you stay at the bonfire? Uh, Lily would probably stay for a pretty long time. Um, just trying to, you know, say, Hi, hello, I'm Lily. I'm one of the counselors. Been here for years. Yada yada, the whole spiel. Probably, I want to say like midnight, mm-hmm. if it even goes that long, it would probably be the latest. And then she'd be like, okay, I'm going to bed. And when you start heading back to your cabin, can you roll for investigative mystery, like sharp? Three. Okay. You just kind of head back to your cabin, mind your own business. <laughs> you don't notice anything weird. You don't notice anything out of the ordinary. Um, but you don't feel right. Like, you don't feel like you're alone or like you're fully safe but because it's camp and um you know it's camp you feel good about being here you're very familiar with it you just kind of like let it kind of roll you know roll off your back you're minding your own business so you just head back to your cabin uh who would leave next bowie or kane i think Daniel's kind of been, I assume he at this point he knows who he's rooming with, so I think he'd be kind of watching to see when his people are heading back to the cabin and kind of gauge it off that, like, he doesn't want to be the first one back, but he doesn't want to be the last one back. Bowie, you start heading back once you see, like, two of your other roommates have head back. While you're heading back, though, you see a mysterious shape far up ahead of you in the woods. Like, what kind of shape? It is off the path. It is in the shape of a clown. (gasps) Oh, you know I'm following that shape. (laughs) You're following this mysterious clown-shaped shadow in the woods? Yes! Okay. 
Is that the kind of person just Bowie is? I think he's adventurous in the sense of he knows there isn't a clown at the bonfire, so he is very curious. He's going to keep his distance, but he is seeing what is up with that clown. Okay, uh, so you're you're sneaking, you know, sneaking and minding your own business. Uh, very exciting stuff. Well, you're following and stuff like that. You find yourself being led deeper and deeper and deeper into the woods. Uh, I assume, like, as I'm getting further away from, like, everything, it is getting significantly darker because i'm assuming like the woods aren't well lit no darker quieter you hear less people you are noticing that it just feels weirdly quiet for the woods you know you you think you'd even be hearing bugs you think you'd be hearing something but it's weirdly quiet and you're very far into the woods and you've lost sight of your mysterious clown so now you're just in the woods. Yeah, I think I think Bowie would be very, very focused on what he was following to the point where until he lost sight of it, he wouldn't have really realized that it was as dark as it was and it was as quiet as it was and it was as still, still as it was. But then once it was out of his sight, he kind of started to focus on everything else and he is not feeling too hot right now. It's a full moon above you. So when the trees break, you can see a little bit, but for the most part, it's pretty dark do you start heading back like do you try to find your way back yeah i think like this point he's like well i don't really know what that was maybe it's like i didn't sleep that well that night i was in a bus all day i don't know what that was maybe it was a bunny maybe i'm all confused so i think he like would kind of like look around and like confirm that he can't see really what he was following anymore and would kind of start trying to make his way back you notice as you start to head back some light through the woods. Do you assume this is camp? Do you follow it? Oh, yeah. I, I assume he, like, he starts, he, like, starts seeing, like, light through the branches, and he's like, oh, these are these are the lights outside the cabin and the bonfire. I found my way back. We're Gucci. As you get closer, you start to realize the lights are purple oh, and green. Definitely didn't find our way back. And they, they, they're kind of changing color regularly. And you notice they're very low to the ground. I think he would definitely slow down when he got to the point where he's like, oh, this is not the right way. But also, I did follow a clown figure into the woods, so I can't not check out what these lights are. As you get closer and closer and closer, you eventually break through the trees and you see a giant crater in the ground. By giant, I mean probably like seven by seven, maybe more, but just a crater in the ground that's about three feet deep. In the middle of that crater is a giant metal ball that around the edges of it are occasionally flashing colors and everything smells like rust and your mouth kind of tastes like metal a little bit and it's just a weird feeling. You feel this really unsettling type of deja vu and you can't place why and you can't place what's going on you kind of push that feeling aside but the physical symptoms aren't really going away what do you do am i noticing like a pattern or anything with the lights flashing or is it like like pretty random it's pretty random i think you would like kind of get close to the end of the crater and like realize like he would not immediately go into it, but he would realize, like, ooh, if I fell in there, at least I could get out. And so, like, he would definitely be, like, P 
peering in and kind of like I think also at the same time kind of like looking around being like I didn't put this crater here I don't think any of them put this crater here what the hell put this crater here investigate the orb I think he gives it a minute but eventually he definitely gets into that crater uh, what does he do to the orb uh, I think he kind of like pokes it with his foot at first because he's like it's like making all, is it making any noise or is it just, just the, the light? Just the lights. Yeah, I think he kind of like gives it like a little nudge with his toes. And when when nothing happens, what does he do next? I think he would do it a couple more times, and like if nothing else continues to happen, at that point he would probably pick it up and like kind of like hold it up to the moon and try to get like a better look at what what is going on with it. So you have skin to skin contact with the orb, correct? Oh. I, I guess. Uh, your hands start to burn. Oh, I'm dropping that orb. As soon as you drop it, it cracks open down the middle. And it is a huge blast of light. Disgusting, like, weird, sciencey smells. Everything smells like bleach. Like, it is a weird situation going on. It is so bright, you have to look away for a second. And there's just smoke all around you. When everything clears, uh, there are no more lights flashing. There's no more anything like that. It is just the orb cracked open. Do you look inside of it? Like how how cracked is it? Like it is like split down the middle, like full Kinder Egg realness. So if I'm looking at it, I can see what's inside of it without touching it. Yes. Oh, I I will glance. I will I will give a little peek. And there looks like there is some kind of like squishy slime ball in there. Oh. It doesn't look like it's it's not like it's lighting up. It's not like it's like doing anything. It's just like a squishy little slime ball. Does it does it look like anything I would have ever seen before? Maybe like uh, no, actually I can't maybe like melted rubber? I don't even know. Is there like a stick nearby? Do you want there to be a stick nearby? You want to poke it with a stick? I kind of, I kind of want to poke it with hey, a stick. Hey, you can poke it with a stick. I'd love to poke it with a stick. Poke that bitch with a stick. Just a little gentle, like nudge. Okay. And when you nudge it, it starts to kind of like shine. It starts to glow in a bunch of different colors. The little slime ball does, and two eyeballs suddenly appear on top of the slime oh. ball. <laughs> hmm. And they like they blink up at you. Uh, they blink out of order. But they, like, look around, and then they blink up at you. Does this, like, look like, is it still just, like, an inorganic pile of rubber with eyes? Yeah, just, like, a squishy light-up pile with eyes. Oh. I I think, I think Bowie is very disturbed by it. <laughs> does he, what does he do? Uh, I, it, it's just, like, looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him. Yeah, yeah, just back and forth. Does it have like a mouth that I can see? No, nah, just eyes. Just, just eyes. Um, I think I think he'd give it another little poke. Uh, when he pokes it that time, the stick kind of like absorbs into the side of the squid. Oh no, no. Um, <laughs> but when he does that. The goo starts to take more of a shape. Ten little arms, like ten little octopus little arms, stick out of the goo. 
and um <laughs> the eyes like blink and then two little flaps so kind of similar to like a dumbo octopus how they have their little flaps those little flaps appear on its head no visible mouth still but it has a little bit of a shape now um something between a starfish and an octopus um but with a skin texture that is so unfamiliar to you, very much still like melted rubber, but it has a little bit of shape now. And it, the stick is kind of like stuck in it now. Is it still looking at me? Yes. <laughs> oh, I think when it starts to like form into a creature, Bowie definitely like takes a step back, but I assume he's like still in the crater. So he kind of just like leans against the edge of the crater to like get a little bit of distance between him and whatever, whatever this thing is. Uh, it's not making any noises. It's just like looking like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like he, he's definitely never seen anything like this before. I assume. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, he does not like it, especially now that it's absorbing a stick. The creature actually moves for the first time. It kind of moves similar to an octopus. It like crawls its way a little bit towards like, and it it, it seems unaffected. Lore like sticky enough to where it can like climb walls. So it, like climbs the wall of the orb to sit on top of one of the halves of the orb to kind of like almost like follow you a bit when you lean back to the side of the crater. Oh, the of the crater. I don't want it to follow me. And it has these big eyes and it's just like looking at you. Does it seem violent? No, it does not seem not, violent. No violence? No violence. I'll go ahead. I'll just give you that. Every other uh, thing you'll have to roll for, but I'll let you know that it's not going to kill you. It doesn't have any violent urges towards me. It does not have any. It does not, this, this cute rainbow light octopus <laughs> that looks like it's out of a Barbie movie does not have any evil urges towards you. It wouldn't be the first time. It would not be the first time. It would not be the first time. Um, And it's just like looking at me and kind of following my movements. Yes. I think when he noticed it, it kind of, like, move with him, he would, like, like wave one of his arms and kind of do, like, the wave or, like, some sort of little motion. And it would... Oh! It, it would mirror it. It would mirror it perfectly. Yeah, he's gonna do this for a little bit and see, like, how into mimicking him it's gonna be. And then... Yeah, like... You do a little... You do a little dance yeah, no, exactly. from, like, a David a little... Bowie music video and then, like, and the thing, like, responds and does the same dance. Yeah. I, th- I think when it, like, copies him, he's like, okay, this thing ain't that bad. I think he'd then be like, like, he would, ch- like, he would speak, he'd be like, um, what are, what are you? Oh, my God. <laughs> my, my name is Bowie. What, what is your name? And it just blinks back in response. Like, out of sync, like, one eye blinks and then the other blinks. I... I'm a I'm I'm a go out on a limb here, dude. Uh, you're not from these woods, are you? And in response, the little the little creature it crawls off the half of the orb and starts crawling towards your foot. Oh no, he's like he's he's like like crab walking himself out of this crater. He is keeping it is at least it a is, foot it is distance between him. It is 100 percent following. Oh, he he keeps moving back. I think until like he runs into a tree. And when you when your back is pressed up against that tree, you are there on the ground and the creature is like only a few inches in front of your foot. And you realize like when it's that close, you kind of realize how small it is. It is probably like the size of an apple. Oh. I think I think like kind of like nudge it away or oh, no, I don't cuz he watched it absorb that stick. <laughs> I don't know if he'd want to touch it. 
I think, is, is there, like, another object around me on this forest floor I could, like, lightly throw at it or poke it with? Do you want to poke it with another stick? Sure, if I get another stick, I can reach. I'd love, to, I'd love to poke it with another stick. Yeah, poke, poke the little guy with a stick. I poke him with a stick. Uh, the stick does not absorb into him this time. It kind of like just taps him the way any other stick would tap any other little guy. I think he just kind of like keep looking at it and like kind of work his way to his feet and like really realize how minuscule this thing is. As you as you stand and, like, up, it crawls onto your foot. It is now. <laughs> it is now sitting on your shoe. Oh no, no, no. I it is latched you on. You would do one of those like little like when you kinda like step in dog poop and you like, it is, kinda, like, it is. Like, it's like wiggle, jiggling wiggle, like wiggle. jelly when you try to shake oh, it off. No. Your shoe, it's not coming off. Uh, oh. Uh yeah, he he goes at that for a little bit and like gradually does it with a little bit more force, but I think when he kind of realizes it's not going anywhere and it's not absorbing him. He kind of chills out, but he is like staring. He is keeping an eye on that thing, and it's just chilling. It's just looking up at you. It blinks out of sync again. And he'd be like, he'd be like, "What? What? What are you?" It starts to crawl up your leg. Oh God, I hate this. Uh, I think I get, like he would do like he would kind of like start like kind of like wiping at his pant leg to like be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, man!" Whoa. It grabs onto your uh, hand when you try to wipe oh. your leg. Now it is on your hand. Oh, it's on. It is freezing cold. Oh. It is freezing cold. And it is literally like if you if you were to stick your hand in freezing cold jello. Ew. But but with like a grip, like it has a firm grip. I think at that point like Bowie would kinda like kinda like raise it to the moon and get like a good look at it, but like keep it very far away from his face. But like kinda like raise it up. And you see when you hold it up to the light, you see it's mostly transparent. Ooh. You can see through it, which means you can also see its eyeballs oh. floating in there and the remains oh. of the stick. You got a blob moment going on over here. <laughs> and if I, I'm like shaking my hand a little bit, it's not coming off. Nah, he is latched on. He'd be like, can you, can you like, like, can you let go? Do you it know, does, can you, can you understand me? It blinks at you. I'm gonna take that as a solid no. Unless you're choosing not understand it jumps on your face oh god he is like freaking out he is like trying to shove it off his face and like r- probably like runs into the fucking tree behind him and is like trying to peel this thing off his face oh he is not having a good time he is like shouting and yelling and making a lot of noise is he opening his mouth to scream or anything oh is it like right over his mouth it is on his face where, where is he oh, opening like the his size mouth? of an apple is he opening his mouth and not if it's like on his mouth but if it's like in, like, the eye-nose vicinity? Yes, if not, he's doing one of those, like, like, things. You suddenly feel a little tendril thing going up your nose. Oh. Oh, he's freaking out even more when something goes up his fucking nose. Heard. Uh, you are going to roll, uh, for... Do I wanna, which one do I want to make you roll for? Um, you're... You know what? Fuck it. Roll for tough to get this thing off your face. Okay, that's not bad. Uh, eleven. Oh yeah, you fling that thing up. In fact, you throw it all the way across the clearing and it slams into an opposite oh. tree. Oh no. You have slammed that guy far away. Um, but you notice a bit of it is still stuck up in your nose. Everything smells like sulfur and metal. Like it, it is such a gross kind of unearthly smell. And you can taste it. You can taste it in your mouth and in the back of your throat. And it's gross and it's not good. 
But then, while you're realizing how disgusting everything smells and tastes, and you're just like having a real bad time because your face is a little sticky and it's not really the move, you look across the clearing at the little guy, and you can like suddenly process, like you you feel that he's scared. Well, is it like I'm feeling what he's feeling kind of moment, or is it like I am understanding his body language kind of moment? You feel it. Oh my god, I'm an empath. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. Uh, I think like instantly because i don't think he would understand that he uh, it's that thing that's feeling scared i think he like gets that overwhelming like scare sensation and like kind of chills out because he's like am i scared he's like no i mean yeah but like no and then like i think that's when he'll like look at it and kind of process like am i is this you and And he'd kind of like walk back to like where he slung the thing up against another tree (laughs) and it's like shaking a bit oh he's scared my my empathy. <laughs> I, I sense that the thing is scared. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. I think he would kind of like off, off, like very begrudgingly and hesitantly kind of like offer his, like the palm of his hand back out. And the thing, the little thing hesitates and you tell he's nervous, but then he, he kind of slowly makes his way onto your hand and he grips on just as tightly as before. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's chilling on your hand now. I'm gonna look at him and be like, can you, can you talk to me now? Can you, do you understand me now? And you catch the vibe that he does understand you. Oh, fuck yeah! Uh, everything still tastes horrible and gross, and you cannot breathe out of one nostril. I feel like every once in a while he's doing that thing, like, you know, when you, like, you laugh and you got soda in your, your mouth? And, like, you get a little bit in your nose, and, like, you've got to do, like, the look thing and, like, rub it your nose. I feel like every once in a while he's doing that. Yeah, no, heard, heard, heard. But, like, mostly just keeping an eye on this little dude. So what are, what are you? <laughs> and you catch the vibe that, while he doesn't really know how to answer your question of what is he, you know that he's not familiar at all with what you are, and he has no idea where he is. Do you know how to get back to... Not here. You see his eyeballs move through his blob to pop out on the other Ugh. side of his body. No. And he is looking at the cracked orb. Is that like your egg sack? He does not know what you mean by egg sack. <laughs> is that like your home? It is not his home, but it is a way that he would be able to get home. Can I like glue it back together? You, you, you. I feel like that question doesn't even warrant a response from the creature. You know, you know the answer to that, I feel like, deep down. What's he do if I, like, go to pick up the orb? He gets sad, because the orb's broken. I, like, I'll, like, collect the pieces of the orb. It's, like, split into two pieces. Yes, and it's about a foot, or, like, a meter tall, meter wide kind of situation. How, How big is a meter? Yeah, it's like three feet. Oh, God, that's a lot bigger than I thought it was. Uh, does it still burn me? Yes. Oh, I am. I like poke it and I realize it burned me. And I kind of like try to, to peer inside of it to see if he's got like a sick crib in there or something. Uh, no, nah, just empty. It's just like a big orb. Just empty. It looks like almost like almost like it was like a shell situation. Okay. 
and you you when you when you're looking at it super close, you catch the vibe through the little guy that it's not really a spacecraft. It's more of like a FedEx box. <laughs> and that this guy was going somewhere and that something interrupted his little journey. Do do you need to get back back in the orb and go home? He can't give you specifics because you kind of catch the vibe he doesn't know, but his spacecraft is definitely not usable. But you have a little guy now. You got a little guy. And you can feel his feelings. Can I name him? Do you want to name him? I want to name him. Oh my god, name him. What do you want to name his him? His name is Ziggy Stardust. I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, finally! Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, yes, yes! Okay, his name is Ziggy Stardust. Fabulous. So you got Ziggy! Fuck yes. What are you going to do now? You have a little guy, and he can't get back home. What are you going to do with him? Uh, I kind of like look at him, and I'm like... Guess, guess you're hanging out with me, and if we don't have to take that thing back, you, you, you. I guess you can stick with me, because you're very small, and I, I'm pretty sure you'll fit in my pockets. He doesn't know what a pocket is, but he is down to not leave your side for the foreseeable future. Cool. I kind of, like, motion him towards my pocket. <laughs> and you notice the pocket of your jacket's getting a little wet. Oh. It's a little sticky. It's a little sticky. Is it glowing? Is my pocket yeah, glowing? Yeah, your pocket's oh. glowing. I like, I'm like, hey, can you, can you turn that off? He, he changes colors a few times trying to see if that helps. So he, so here's the thing. I don't think I can convince everyone that I'm just got back from a sick rave. And that is why my pockets are glowing and flashing. He does not understand what a rave uh, is. I'll, I'll show this little dude what a rave is. <laughs> <laughs> if I, like, cover him in more things, like, if I, like, roll up my hoodie, do I notice, like, it, it's a lot easier to cover him up? Yes. I, like, yeah. I think I... Do I have my bag with me? Did I... Would I have gone? I don't know if I would have taken my bag with me. I think I just got, like, my hoodie. So you just shove him in, like, the... You just roll him up in, like, the hoodie pocket or something? Yeah, like, I'm, like... i probably take my hoodie off and kind of, like, wrap him up. And like ball my hoodie, like maybe I like fell into a a, a creek or something and got a little wet, and I didn't want to like walk back in my wet clothes kind of vibe. No, that's that's a vibe. That's a vibe seems like a valid excuse. Done up, and I like I, I try to find my way back to the camp now. Hey, sweet, uh, roll a d twenty, roll a goofy little d twenty. Do you want me to do anything to it or just, no, just roll? roll. The... Oh, that's a that's a six. Oh yeah, it's gonna it. It's going to take you a hot fucking minute to get back to the cabins. You're going to be safe, but it's going to be one of those things where it's like, damn, six in the morning already? Finally back to my cabin. <laughs> but all the way back before six in the morning. Kane is the last one to leave. Uh, why is he the last? Because the, the alternative is going back to the cabin. And there's like three girls in there. He's not pleased about the women situation? Yeah. You know what's also waiting for you at the bonfire? Kenneth. Oh, of course. Yeah. He also is not necessarily looking forward to being, like, the first guy back in the cabin with three girls. He's chilling there with you. And as the people start, like, filtering out and stuff, and maybe, like, Riot and Skip are getting ready to put out the fire and stuff, Kenneth kind of leans in. He's like, hey, 
Do you want to do it tonight? <laughs> what the the book thing? Yes. Uh, sure. Are you? I guess. Are you doing something better tonight? No, I mean I was doing sleeping. I guess, but I could not do that. Or do you, would you rather sleep than talk to ghosts? I mean, we gotta be up at like six in the morning. You know, if you would rather go back to a cabin full of girls really? than talk to ghosts. Oh, yeah. No, let's uh-huh. talk to ghosts. Mm-hmm. You know, you're right. When you put it like that. He has this bag with him. And instead of leaving the camp bonfire and going straight to the um, straight to the cabin or anything like that, you all head off in the opposite direction. Uh, you have no idea where we're going, but Kenneth seems very secure. In it, and he leads you through the woods. Roll sharp. Oh boy, that's a ten. While walking through the woods, you notice some kind of creature slinking around the cabin. <laughs> a creature? <laughs> do you do anything about I it? I think I. What is that? And Kenneth's like, "What is what?" There's, there's, uh, there's a thing over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a thing. If you're getting scared and you want to go back to the cabin... I didn't say I was scared. I just said there was a thing over there. I'm sure there is. And Kenneth just keeps walking. (laughs) You're not believing squirrels? What's going on? And the thing that's slinking around is like some large thing on all fours. (laughs) And it... Oh, dear. It looks very horrifying. It's a little humanoid. Oh, God. It's not exactly the best looking thing. And it doesn't seem to notice you or Kenneth. You are far enough away. Do you just keep following Kenneth and just shut your mouth or do you? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I can deal with that later. He is leading you deep into the woods, like far away from the camp. Are you comfortable with this? Uh, You know, I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) You see after a while that there's a break in the trees and there are like buildings and there are cabins and all this other stuff and they're dilapidated and they look old and gross. The wood is rotting. Some of the roofs have caved in. Uh, animals have definitely started to like situate themselves here. It looks like an old rundown camp. And Kenneth turns to you and he explains that this is a section of the camp that was cut off after the Moon Mirror Massacre. And this is like the old moon mirror camp almost. It's completely off limits to anyone. It is private property, no trespassing kind of vibes. But he knows where it is because his dad owns the camp. So he thinks that this would be the best place to do your little quirky little seance. Oh, we're out in the middle of the woods in a place where we're not supposed to be in the middle of the night. I just saw something freaky. You know, I'm a little I'm a little weirded out. Just going to say it. When you all get to kind of like the middle clearing in the center of like all these buildings, Kenneth whips out his bag and he starts whipping out candles and matches and he brings out a Ouija board, all the classics. And he's like setting up a bunch of stuff using the instructions of the book. Wow. How'd you get all this stuff? What do you mean? What? The Dollar I mean, Tree? I've been, the Dollar Tree? You could get those there? These are can they, they're just candles. What about the Ouija board? I'm not talking about the candles. You can buy a Ouija board at any toy store. Oh. I've been looking. I couldn't find one. You but you've been looking for one? Yeah. I, I mean 
Well, when, when's your birthday? Uh, not today. No, I mean, yeah. I would hope not. I just keep setting up. Got anything for Sharp again, just to like see what's around you? Sure. Why not? Yeah, go again. Nine. Why do you keep rolling so good? <laughs> Sorry. I'll roll worse. No, no. I just, I know. I think it's funny. Um, you look off into the woods. You see a mysterious figure <laughs> off in the woods. <laughs> and it's just kind of like standing there watching. Um, uh, uh, uh. Is your asthma acting up? Oh. I don't... What? I don't want to be killed. What? Is that thing... Oh, my God. Okay. Hey, not to alarm you, but we're being watched. Okay. You're okay with that? I mean, I... What would we... What would we be watched by? I don't know. Uh, the thing that we're trying to summon, maybe? Okay. <laughs> okay. And this is the moment where you remember that you don't know whether the serial killer is dead or alive, and there is a there's a, there's a guy watching you from the woods. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is this is this not like? <laughs> I think maybe we should leave. What? what? We just got here. Okay, well, let's hurry up then, because there's a guy watching us in the woods, and I don't oh, show me where the guy. Show me point at the guy. But I can't make it obvious. What if I don't want him to know that we're that I know? Okay, then just like. And like casually motion at the guy. I I like tilt my head at the guy. And Kenneth very obviously turns around. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't see anything. Uh, okay. A new look, it's not there anymore. Maybe it was the shadows. Do if you if you're too scared to keep going, you can just go back. I'm not I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I think there's a reasonable, healthy amount of fear about being in the middle of the woods uh, in the middle of the night where there might be a murderer still alive who's like 50 years old. Okay, but you, you said you're not scared of a 50-year-old. I said that if I had to fight a 50-year-old killer as opposed to a 20-year-old killer, I would choose a 50-year-old one. So you'd be... Not that I wanted to. Well, now that we are... Oh. Oh, God. And he, he pulls out his matches and he starts to light the candles. And the candles are set up in a circle around the Ouija board. And he has his little book laid out. And uh, he, has a little, he has a little knife. Are you ready to attempt to summon a ghost? Yes. Scared about what the knife is for, but I can guess. Uh, so he sits down. I also sit down. While getting himself situated, he starts to tell you some specifics. About the Moon Mirror Massacre. How some guy named Barty Stevenson was there to be a counselor and something was just off about him all summer. He had gone to that camp since he was a kid, but something had changed before he came back that summer to work there. And then suddenly counselors start to disappear one by one. And things were weird, like the horses kept ending up out of the stables. There were weird things going on with the lake. Stuff was just wrong. And then on the last day of the summer, before everyone was supposed to go home, five counselors ended up dead. This included what they thought was Barty's body. What it actually was was his twin brother, Billy, who he had decapitated 
and put in his clothes, so people thought he was dead. But he made it out scot-free. The last person to supposedly see Barty alive was the old camp owner who was a counselor at the time. Her name is Patty. But she made it out alive. But no one knows what happened to Barty. And while he's telling you this, he's like making sure the candles are all good and setting up the Ouija board. Then he takes out his little knife and he puts a little cut on his hand, drops some of his blood on the Ouija board, and then he holds out the knife to you. Yeah. And I take it and I take a little blood and do the thingy. You do the are you are you freaked out or are you just kinda like rolling with the motions? I'm doing what needs to be done. Are you do you prefer this to the s'mores and friendship bracelets? Yeah. <laughs> you put the blood on there, and then he puts his little hand on the Ouija board, and you do the same. And he's like, Okay, I have to um I have to try to speak Latin now. Don't don't make fun of me. <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> And he starts speaking in very bad, bad Latin. <laughs> like, bad Latin. I don't know if anyone here was a Latin kid, but, like, pronouncing the Vs kind of bad at Latin. And, um, <laughs> and I knew that would resonate with you, stranger. And um, <laughs> he um, he's trying. He's trying. It's very, very broken Latin. And nothing seems to be happening. Nothing's happening on the Ouija board. Everything's pretty boring. And y'all are sitting there and sitting there and time's passing. And maybe you're getting bit by some mosquitoes. And nothing's really happening. Well. Uh, what's supposed to happen? I, I, don't, I, I, I don't actually know. Oh. Uh. I don't know. I guess I didn't think we'd get this far. <laughs> well. I think we should leave. As soon as you say that, the little planchette on the Ouija board starts to move. Oh, God. And it's not really forming any coherent words, at least not in English. It's just kind of bouncing from letter to letter to letter to letter to letter. But while it's doing that, you start experiencing this really, like, uncomfortable feeling of really weird deja vu. Like, you're getting a weird, bad feeling about what's going on. But it's not the same as your fear. It's a separate feeling. The feeling continues as, like, the planchette keeps moving. Kenneth is obviously, he's excited, but he's also very obviously also starting to get freaked out. And the planchette keeps moving faster and faster and faster and faster. And then all the candles go out and the Ouija board breaks in half. You know when, like, everything stops and there's no sound or movement? You can't move either or speak, so I think I just freeze. It takes a little bit, but Kenneth eventually leans over and he's like, um, should, uh, should we run? Yeah, no, that's a good idea. 
we're running. Yeah. We're running. Okay. And he, he stands up and he starts <laughs> yeah. to bolt it towards the woods. Me too. And while you guys are running, both of you all are suddenly tripped. You don't know where this tripping came from, but you both are like slammed down on the ground. And when you both look up to what's in front of you, you see two pairs of feet, almost as if it is a human body like reversed vaporizing. Cell by cell, it seems that these two human bodies are being fused back together. And you're watching it like first there's bone, then there's muscle, then there's skin. And it is just building these two people. The feet and shoes form first, and it goes all the way up until there are two men standing above you guys. One of them is in all dark, kind of like metal clothes. He has longer hair and he looks a lot different than the guy next to him. While they look identical in appearance, the other guy is dressed completely differently. Softer, lighter clothes, like sweater vest. He has glasses, a lot more well-kept than the first guy. The one is dressed more heavy metal. He looks down at himself. And again, like shakes out his arms and he looks down at his trench coat, just starts to smile and he just starts to laugh. And the guy next to him looks down at himself, looks at his twin and just starts to scream. Maybe they're friendly. Hi, hi guys. (laughs) 